0: Section 43 of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3 by John Calvin. Translated by Henry Beveridge. Chapter 23, Part 2. 7. They deny that it is ever said in distinct terms god decreed that adam should perish by his revolt as if the same god who is declared in scripture to do whatsoever he pleases could have made the noblest of his creatures without any special purpose they say that in accordance with free will he was to be the architect of his own fortune that god had decreed nothing but to treat him according to his desert if this frigid fiction is received where will be the omnipotence of god by which according to his secret counsel on which everything depends he rules over all but whether they will allow it or not predestination is manifest in adam's posterity it was not owing to nature that they all lost salvation by the fault of one parent why should they refuse to admit with regard to one man that which against their will they admit with regard to the whole human race why should they in cavilling lose their labor scripture proclaims that all were in the person of one made liable to eternal death as this cannot be ascribed to nature it is plain that it is owing to the wonderful counsel of god it is very absurd in these worthy defenders of the justice of god to strain at a gnat and swallow a camel i ask again how is it that the fall of Adam involves so many nations with their infant children in eternal death without remedy, unless that it so seemed meet to God? Here the most loquacious tongues must be dumb. The decree, I admit, is dreadful, and yet it is impossible to deny that God foreknew what the end of man was to be before he made him, and foreknew because he had so ordained it by his decree should any one here inveigh against the prescience of god he does it rashly and inadvisedly for why pray should it be made a charge against the heavenly judge that he was not ignorant of what was to happen thus if there is any just or plausible complaint it must be directed against predestination nor ought it to seem absurd when i say that god not only foresaw the fall of the first man and in him the ruin of his posterity but also at his own pleasure arranged it for as it belongs to his wisdom to foreknow all future events so it belongs to his power to rule and govern them by his hand this question like others is skilfully explained by augustine let us confess with the greatest benefit what we believe with the greatest truth that the god and lord of all things who made all things very good both foreknow that evil was to arise out of good and knew that it belonged to his most omnipotent goodness to bring good out of evil rather than not permit evil to be and so ordained the life of angels and men as to show in it first what free-will could do and secondly what the benefit of his grace and his righteous judgment could do eight here they recur to the distinction between will and permission the object being to prove that the wicked perish only by the permission but not by the will of god but why do we say that he permits but just because he wills nor indeed is there any probability in the thing itself V de set that man brought death upon himself merely by the permission and not by the ordination of God, as if God had not determined what he wished the condition of the chief of his creatures to be. I will not hesitate, therefore, simply to confess with Augustine that the will of God is necessity, and that everything is necessary which he has willed, just as those things will certainly happen which he has foreseen." Now, if an excuse of themselves and the ungodly, either the Pelagians or Manichees or Anabaptists or Epicureans, for it is with these four sects we have to discuss this matter, should object the necessity by which they are constrained, in consequence of the divine predestination, they do nothing that is relevant to the cause. For if predestination is nothing else than a dispensation of divine justice, secret indeed, but unblamable, because it is certain that those predestinated to that condition were not unworthy of it, it is equally certain that the destruction consequent upon predestination is also most just. Moreover, though their perdition depends on the predestination of God, the cause and matter of it is in themselves. The first man fell because the lord deemed it meet that he should why he deemed it meet we know not it is certain however that it was just because he saw that his own glory would thereby be displayed when you hear the glory of god mentioned understand that his justice is included for that which deserves praise must be just man therefore falls divine providence so ordaining but he falls by his own fault, the Lord had a little before declared that all things which He made were very good genesis one thirty one whence then the depravity of man which made him revolt from God, lest it should be supposed that it was from his creation, God had expressly approved what proceeded from himself, therefore man's own wickedness corrupted the pure nature which he had received from god and his ruin brought with it the destruction of all his posterity wherefore let us in the corruption of human nature contemplate the evident cause of condemnation a cause which comes more closely home to us rather than to inquire into a cause hidden and almost incomprehensible in the predestination of God. Nor let us decline to submit our judgment to the boundless wisdom of God, so far as to confess its insufficiency to comprehend many of His secrets. Ignorance of things which we are not able, or which it is not lawful to know, is learning, while the desire to know them is a species of madness. 9. Someone, perhaps, will say that I have not yet stated enough to refute this blasphemous excuse. I confess that it is impossible to prevent impiety from murmuring and objecting but i think i have said enough not only to remove the ground but also the pretext for throwing blame upon god the reprobate would excuse their sins by alleging that they were unable to escape the necessity of sinning especially because a necessity of this nature is laid upon them by the ordination of god We deny that they can thus be validly excused, since the ordination of God by which they complain that they are doomed to destruction is consistent with equity, an equity indeed unknown to us, but most certain. Hence we conclude that every evil which they bear is inflicted by the most just judgment of God next we have shown that they act preposterously when in seeking the origin of their condemnation they turn their view to the hidden recesses of the divine counsel and wink at the corruption of nature which is the true source they cannot impute this corruption to god because he bears testimony to the goodness of his creation for though by the eternal providence of god man was formed for the calamity under which he lies he took the matter of it from himself not from god since the only cause of his destruction was his degenerating from the purity of his creation into a state of vice and impurity ten there is a third absurdity by which the adversaries of predestination defame it as we ascribe it entirely to the counsel of the divine will that those whom God adopts as the heirs of His kingdom are exempted from universal destruction, they infer that He is an acceptor of persons. But this scripture uniformly denies, and therefore scripture is either at variance with itself, or respect is had to merit in election first the sense in which scripture declares that god is not an acceptor of persons is different from that which they suppose since the term person means not man but those things which when conspicuous in a man either procure favor grace and dignity or on the contrary produce hatred contempt, and disgrace among these are on the one hand riches wealth power rank office country beauty etc. And on the other hand, poverty, want, mean birth, sordidness, contempt, and the like. Thus Peter and Paul say that the Lord is no acceptor of persons because He makes no distinction between the Jew and the Greek, does not make the mere circumstance of country the ground for rejecting one or embracing the other. Acts 10.34, Romans 2.10, Galatians 3.28. Thus James also uses the same words when he would declare that God has no respect to riches in His judgment, James two five. Paul also says in another passage that in judging God has no respect to slavery or freedom, Ephesians six nine, Colossians three twenty five. There is nothing inconsistent with this when we say that God, according to the good pleasure of His will, without any regard to merit elects those whom he chooses for sons, while he rejects and reprobates others. For fuller satisfaction, the matter may be thus explained. It is asked how it happens that of two, between whom there is no difference of merit, God, in his election, adopts the one and passes by the other. I, in my turn, ask, Is there anything in him... Who is adopted to incline god towards him if it must be confessed that there is nothing it will follow that god looks not to the man but is influenced entirely by his own goodness to do him good therefore when god elects one and rejects another it is owing not to any respect to the individual but entirely to his own mercy which is free to display and exert itself when and where he pleases for we have elsewhere seen that in order to humble the pride of the flesh, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. 1 Corinthians one twenty six. So far is God in the exercise of His favor from showing any respect to persons. 11. Wherefore, it is false and most wicked to charge God with dispensing justice unequally, because, in this predestination, he does not observe the same course towards all. If, say they, he finds all guilty, let him punish all alike. If he finds them innocent, let him relieve all from the severity of judgment. But they plead with God, as if he were either interdicted from showing mercy, or were obliged, if he show mercy, entirely to renounce judgment. What is it that they demand? that if all are guilty, all shall receive the same punishment. We admit that the guilt is common, but we say that God in mercy succors some. Let him, say they, succor all. We object that it is right for him to show, by punishing, that he is a just judge. When they cannot tolerate this, what else are they attempting than to deprive God of the power of showing mercy? Or, at least, to allow to him only on the condition of altogether renouncing judgment here the words of augustine most admirably apply since in the first man the whole human race fell under condemnation those vessels which are made of it unto honor are not vessels of self-righteousness but of divine mercy when other vessels are made unto dishonor it must be imputed not to injustice but to judgment since God inflicts due punishment on those whom He reprobates, and bestows unmerited favor on those whom He calls, He is free from every accusation, just as it belongs to the creditor to forgive the debt to one and to exact it of another. The Lord therefore may show favor to whom He will, because He is merciful, not show it to all, because He is a just judge in giving to some what they do not merit he shows his free favor in not giving to all he declares what all deserve for when paul says god has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all it ought also to be added that he is debtor to none for who has first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again romans eleven thirty two thirty three twelve another argument which they employ to overthrow predestination is that if it stand all care and study of well-doing must cease for what man can hear say they that life and death are fixed by an eternal and immutable decree of god without immediately concluding that it is of no consequence how he acts since no work of his can either hinder or further, the predestination of God. Thus all will rush on, and like desperate men plunge headlong wherever lust inclines. And it is true that this is not altogether a fiction, for there are multitudes of swinish nature, who defile the doctrine of predestination by their profane blasphemies, and employ them as a cloak to evade all admonition and censure god knows what he has determined to do with regard to us if he has decreed our salvation he will bring us to it in his own time if he has doomed us to death it is vain for us to fight against it but scripture while it enjoins us to think of this high mystery with much greater reverence and religion gives very different instruction to the pious and justly condemns the accursed license of the ungodly for it does not remind us of predestination to increase our audacity and tempt us to pry with impious presumption into the inscrutable counsels of god but rather to humble and abase us that we may tremble at his judgment and learn to look up to his mercy this is the mark at which believers will aim the grunt of these filthy swine is duly silenced by Paul. They say that they feel secure in vices because if they are of the number of the elect, their vices will be no obstacle to the ultimate attainment of life. But Paul reminds us that the end for which we are elected is that we should be holy and without blame before him. Ephesians one four. If the end of election is holiness of life, it ought to arouse and stimulate us strenuously to aspire to it, instead of serving as a pretext for sloth. How wide the difference between the two things, between ceasing from well-doing because election is sufficient for salvation, and its being the very end of election, that we should devote ourselves to the study of good works. Have done, then, with blasphemies which wickedly invert the whole order of election, when they extend their blasphemies farther and say that he who is reprobated by god will lose his pains if he studies to approve himself to him by innocence and probity of life they are convicted of the most impotent falsehood for whence can any such study arise but from election as all who are of the number of the reprobate are vessels formed unto dishonor so they cease not by their perpetual crimes to provoke the anger of god against them and give evident signs of the judgment which god has already passed upon them so far is it from being true that they vainly contend against it Thirteen, another impudent and malicious calumny against this doctrine is that it destroys all exhortations to a pious life the great odium to which augustine was at one time subjected on this head he wiped away in his treatise De e gratia to valentinus a perusal of which will easily satisfy the pious and docile here however i may touch on a few points which will i hope be sufficient for those who are honest and not contentious we have already seen how plainly and audibly paul preaches the doctrine of free election is he therefore cold in admonishing and exhorting let those good zealots compare his vehemence with theirs and they will find that they are ice, while he is all fervor. And surely every doubt on this subject should be removed by the principles which he lays down: that God has not called us to uncleanness; that every one should possess his vessel in honor; that we are the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. First Thessalonians four four seven ephesians two ten in one word those who have any tolerable acquaintance with the writings of paul will understand without long demonstration how well he reconciles the two things which those men pretend to be contradictory to each other christ commands us to believe in him and yet there is nothing false or contrary to this command in the statement which he afterwards makes NO MAN CAN COME UNTO ME, EXCEPT IT WERE GIVEN HIM OF MY FATHER. JOHN six sixty five. Let preaching, then, have its free course, that it may lead men to faith, and dispose them to persevere with uninterrupted progress. Nor, at the same time, let there be any obstacle to the knowledge of predestination, so that those who obey may not plume themselves on anything of their own, but glory only in the Lord it is not without cause our savior says who has ears to hear let him hear matthew thirteen nine. therefore while we exhort and preach those who have ears willingly obey in those again who have no ears is fulfilled what is written hear ye indeed but understand not isaiah 6 9 but why says augustine have some ears and others not who has known the mind of the Lord? Are we, therefore, to deny what is plain, because we cannot comprehend what is hid? This is a faithful quotation from Augustine, but because his words will perhaps have more authority than mine, let us adduce the following passage from his treatise, De Bonae Persever, Chapter 15. Should some, on hearing this, turn to indolence and sloth, and leaving off all exertion, rush headlong into lust, are we therefore to suppose that what has been said of the foreknowledge of god is not true if god foreknew that they would be good will they not be good however great their present wickedness and if god foreknew that they will be wicked will they not be wicked how great soever the goodness now seen in them for reasons of this description must the truth which has been stated on the subject of divine foreknowledge be denied or not mentioned and more especially when if it is not stated other errors will arise in the sixteenth chapter he says the reason for not mentioning the truth is one thing the necessity for telling the truth is another it were tedious to inquire into all the reasons for silence one however is lest those who understand not become worse while we are desirous to make those who understand better informed now such persons when we say anything of this kind do not indeed become better informed but neither do they become worse but when the truth is of such a nature that he who cannot comprehend it becomes worse by our telling it and he who can comprehend it becomes worse by our not telling it what think ye ought we to do are we not to tell the truth that he who can comprehend may comprehend rather than not to tell it and thereby not only prevent both from comprehending but also make the more intelligent of the two to become worse whereas if he heard and comprehended others might learn through him and we are unwilling to say what on the testimony of scripture it is lawful to say for we fear lest when we speak he who cannot comprehend may be offended but we have no fear lest while we are silent he who can comprehend the truth involved in falsehood. In chapter 20, glancing again at the same view, he more clearly confirms it. Wherefore, if the apostles and teachers of the church who came after them did both, if they discoursed piously of the eternal election of God, and at the same time kept believers under the discipline of a pious life, how can those men of our day, when shut up by the invincible force of truth, think they are right in saying, that which is said of predestination, though it be true, must not be preached to the people. Nay, it ought indeed to be preached that whoso has ears to hear may hear. And who has ears, if he has not received them from him who has promised to give them? Certainly, let him who receives not reject. Let him who receives take and drink, drink and live." For as piety is to be preached, that God may be duly worshipped, so predestination also is to be preached, that he who has ears to hear may, in regard to the divine grace, glory not in himself, but in God. 14. And yet, as that holy man had a singular desire to edify, he so regulates his method of teaching, as carefully, and as far as in him lay, to avoid giving offense, for he reminds us that those things which are truly should also be fitly spoken. Were any one to address the people thus, If you do not believe, the reason is because God has already doomed you to destruction, he would not only encourage sloth, but also give continence to wickedness. Were any one to give utterance to the sentiment in the future tense, and say, That those who hear will not believe because they are reprobates, it were imprecation rather than doctrine. Wherefore, Augustine not undeservedly orders such as senseless teachers or minister and ill omened prophets to retire from the church. He, indeed, elsewhere truly contends that a man profits by correction only when he who causes those whom he pleases to profit without correction pities and assists but why is it thus with some and differently with others far be it from us to say that it belongs to the clay and not to the potter to decide he afterwards says when men by correction either come or return to the way of righteousness who is it that works salvation in the hearts but he who gives the increase whoever it be that plants and waters when he is pleased to save there is no free will in man to resist wherefore it cannot be doubted that the will of god who has done whatever he has pleased in heaven and earth and who has even done things which are to be cannot be resisted by human will or prevented from doing what he pleases since with the very wills of men he does so again when he would bring men to himself does he bind them with corporeal fetters he acts inwardly inwardly holds inwardly moves their hearts and draws them by the will which he has wrought in them what he immediately adds must not be omitted because we know not who belongs to the number of the predestinated or does not belong our desire ought to be that all may be saved and hence every person we meet we will desire to be with us a partaker of peace but our peace will rest upon the sons of peace. Wherefore, on our part, let correction be used as a harsh yet salutary medicine for all, that they may neither perish nor destroy others. To God it will belong to make it available to those whom He has foreknown and predestinated. End of section 43.